Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. and a psychoanalyst in private practice, the Stephen and Sharon Lieberman Chair of Pastoral Counseling at Yeshiva Chobabay Torah Rabbinical School, and Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. Dr. Friedman has been involved in bridging religious life and mental health issues for over 30 years, a dear, dear personal teacher and mentor of mine. So thank you for taking time to talk. It's a pleasure. So to start, um, you know, uh, with our current moment, um, during this crisis mode, we are focused on the, the immediate medical response. But I wonder, um, what should we be thinking about beyond that, um, you know, beyond the immediate me- medical response to the crisis? That is a great question, Rav Shmuley. And of course, we're all thinking right now about physical safety. And that is, first and foremost, physical safety and economic shoring up. So everything from masks to social distancing to hand washing must be reinforced again and again. And helping people out, whether it's through loans, whether it's through um, doing, a, you know, buying a birthday present from your local favorite take, restaurant as takeout to help keep them in business or a craft from somebody or whatever it is, is also important. The thing that my area of expertise is and something that I'm extremely concerned about is the long-term the, the, the not, I'm not super long-term, like pretty soon, like now and going forward, impact of the COVID crisis on mental health. Um, and I'd like to talk about this from a few different points of view. For people who already had defined mental health issues, this is a huge stress. It's a stress on everybody, uh, everybody who's alive and thinking, it's a huge stress. And if people already were reckoning with anxiety, with depression, with major mental disorders like psychosis of some sort or another, having this level of fear and disturbance of their care system is huge. So not being able to hang out with the people that you hung out with, whether it was in your day treatment program or your face-to-face AA meeting or your support group, for divorced parents or whatever it is, is a very significant uh, loss. And I think all of the, the, of course, the economic insecurity, kids home from school, families living in small dwellings on top of each other, it's getting hotter outside, all of that contributes to everybody's levels of tension. But in addition to that, you know, we already are seeing big upticks in things like domestic violence, child abuse, physical and sexual, and all kinds of of abuse in in the home. And I think that there is a longer term growing anxiety about security and and safety. 
And of course, we're also going into an election year. So no matter what anybody who's listening to politics are, we know that we're going to be hearing a lot of angry rhetoric. And that's not going to make anybody feel particularly safer or more comfortable. You know, here in New York, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo has become like a rock star. And my mom, who's 92, and all these other people like just love hearing Governor Cuomo because he's comforting and he tells the truth straight and he speaks slowly and calmly. And people really need a voice that they trust, who they think is telling them things straight. But we need to be planning for really increased mental health needs going forward. And it doesn't have to be super sophisticated, but it needs to be planned for. Yeah, beautiful. So there's so many different populations involved with that. One, one population I'm interested to hear your take on is the role of clergy right now yes. on that particular issue. How in our current uh, climate can, can clergy play an enhanced role? Well, I think this is, you know, this is, as you know, my favorite topic since I spent the last 20 years teaching pastoral counseling to rabbis. Um, and what I've taught to rabbis, um, and also I had the privilege to teaching to clergy of other faith traditions, is it's really the same principles no matter what faith tradition somebody is coming from. And I had the privilege several weeks ago of doing a Zoom uh, con conference for um, the clergy of, of various faith traditions who were doing a uh, extended pastoral counseling seminar. And they'd been in this seminar for a few years and I happened to be booked as the teacher, but it coincided with this COVID time. And it was unbelievably moving. I remember there was one fellow who had been a policeman himself for about 20 years, and then he became a Catholic priest. And he was doing a funeral of a police chief that he knew in his police work. And it was, he was heartbroken not being able to do some of these like touching rituals, like he couldn't touch the hearse. Everything had to be at a, at a distance. And he was really, it, the way this man spoke, feeling like, what good have I done? Am I doing any good? What do we bring to people? I can't make it better. So I think that having support groups for clergy of, and they could be all mixed together. I mean, a Buddhist could be with a, an Orthodox Jew, could be with an imam, could be with a priest, could be with a Presbyterian minister. You know, it could go on and on and on because the human situations of ministering to people in devastating circumstances are the same. The chaplains feel wiped out. They feel depleted. Their own faith in whatever their uh, deity or belief system in is surely shaken. And they don't know who to talk to about it because, you know, if you're a rabbi or a priest, you're not supposed to be wavering in your faith. You're supposed to be, you know, holding the banner. And if you're feeling like, whoa, I don't know what, what banner, like who is, like, what, how could this happen? You know, these these people, especially in institutions like hospitals or prisons or other similar types of things who were at the, they couldn't be at the bedside of dying people. You know, these COVID patients died, as we know, alone and priests couldn't perform last rites. Rabbis couldn't do vidui, the confession at the, at the, at the bedside. And this really broke people's hearts to see these people, you know, dying alone. I mean, sometimes maybe a nurse could do a, uh, an iPad or whatever, but a lot of times that wasn't available. And it really broke the hearts of many of these clergy and holding them and saying, 
it mattered. It mattered they saw you outside the room. It mattered that you did an iPad something. It mattered that you spoke to the nurse afterwards in the nurse's station and that you just were there and you were the person who could just let them discharge and bond and, and be okay with their vulnerability. Now, somebody's got to take care of those caretakers. So I think that supporting the clergy is number one. But number two is also giving clergy who are, again, I want to emphasize as first responders, the skills that they need and they deserve to do this work. So a big part of that is support. And another part of it is the stuff that we did back in your yeshiva days, which is techniques of active, compassionate, non-judgmental listening. How do you sit with yourself? How do you take your own emotional pulse when you're hearing really difficult material? When do you make a response? What do you do when you feel like, oh my God, what am I going to say to this? I have nothing to say. All that kind of stuff. And I think that well-intentioned good people can really learn a lot in a fairly short amount of time and do a lot of good. It doesn't have to be clergy. It could be you know, thoughtful, caring, retired folks who want to pitch in during this really difficult time. I think we could chain a national core or an Arizona state core of, um, of uh, civilian chaplains, of, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, for people who could be helpful listeners. I know other countries have done this, and I think we need it. Um, you know, we're very isolated, and we need to, people to be able to talk to. Yeah. Okay. So, so just the last question, unless there's anything else you want to add, is uh, there's a, a particular population. I'm worried about so many populations, but one in particular right. is are the singles over 60. Right. Those who really have no physical touch, right. no physical contact. Those who um, stay home, don't go right. to work, uh, maybe because they're retired or because they can't, um, and are really, really struggling. Again, so many populations right. are struggling. But what, what, what's some advice you have for these folks? Folks who live alone, um, have no, um, nowhere to go uh, or no ability to go and, and, and are really struggling. I think first of all, getting together, like if for any convening organization, whether it's a synagogue, Valley Bait Midrash, the local, I don't know, veterans, something or other, anything, convening small groups of people who want to bond together and just have a Zoom support group. And, and it should be, I mean, it's not going to be like a totally hangout. It's not going to be a psychotherapy group, but something that just talks about isolation and talks about resilience. What's worked for you? It's always better to hear from a peer. Yes, getting up in the morning and making a schedule for the day matters. Getting dressed matters. Now, we all have read this 10 trillion times in the newspaper. You know, change your clothes, uh, shave, like don't wear pajamas all day, make a schedule, go outside for a walk. You know, all that stuff. But I think when you hear it from people that are going through it, it really makes a difference. So I, I think there are very basic things that people can do. I mean, I know there are people who have not left their homes because they're so paralyzed by fear. And maybe there are people, you know, they're living on the 30th floor of a tiny elevator building and they shouldn't leave their home because it's dangerous. But that's not as many people as I think really, you know, can't leave their homes. And I think if people can, it is important to go outside and take a walk in the park or on the street or whatever it is, socially distanced, wearing a mask, all of that. Making a schedule really matters. Cultivating an interest, taking up something that you, know, that you can learn online. All of us are sick of being on screens, but if you pick one thing, whether you're gonna learn how to knit online or speak Spanish or whatever it is, you could do a project. You can learn how to sketch online. And I, I know people who have picked that one thing 
and are pursuing it, you know, with more or less success. But I think that fundamentally having a core group that you feel connected to, that you can talk just about this stuff, Mm -hmm. not necessarily your kids who want you, I mean, talking about the 60 plus year old people, the kids want the elders to be wise and, you know, calm, but there's, you know, us elders are not so wise and calm all the time and we need our own support groups. So that's what I would suggest. Thank you. Thank you. Very insightful and helpful. And friends, uh, you can find out, uh, you can read many others, many other uh, writings from Dr. Friedman online. So thank you so much for this time. Great. Wonderful talking with you.